0: Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, a corner for parents and caretakers fighting and surviving pediatric cancer. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Hi, welcome to Family Chemotherapy. This is Adriana. Uh i'm really excited for my next guest her name is amy sapien and she is with pink and gold mama on instagram and the way i came across amy was through uh, basically just being connected through that cancer community and um meeting other moms who were going through the same thing. We all kind of use the same hashtags and pop up in each other's feeds. And so I came across Amy and I saw that Amy was also fighting her own fight. And for those of you who think this is actually a rare occurrence, it's really not as rare as it, um, as people that aren't in the cancer world, especially pediatric cancer world. It's not that rare in our world to see a parent, um, also being diagnosed at the same time as their child, um, for, fighting cancer. So uh, I just want to say thank you, Amy, for joining me today. And I'm really excited to hear your story and share it with other people. And um, just bring that awareness that, you know, not only do children get cancer, but so do the caretakers. And it adds an extra element on top of what you're already going through as a mom to a, you know, a child with pediatric cancer. So I would love to start out by you telling us your story.
1: Okay. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Amy Sapien. I'm 40 years old. I live in Tampa, Florida. Um, I'm married. My husband and I have been together for 17 years. We have two boys. Uh, Landon is eight and Corbin it will be four in October. Um, spring of 2019, I transferred, I'm a VA employee. I'm a social worker and I transferred from one VA nearby to the Tampa VA. Um, and that involved buying a new house. So we bought this new house and like the house just started crumbling around us, like from the get go. Like we were, had like two weeks of quiet and then the roof started leaking. Water started pouring in to the front room from the baseboards where there was water intrusion. Um, uh, they had rats in the attic oh
0: my gosh that's like my worst nightmare
1: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: they like uh
1: the hose that goes to the refrigerator so you can get water out of the um door burst mm-hmm. in the wall and um, oh my gosh yeah so like, like the whole side of the house or the whole side of the kitchen was um like kind of flooded mm-hmm. on the inside of the wall so we were scrambling trying to get. New job, house is falling apart. Landon's birthday was coming. We were having this big open house for his birthday with like 60 people. So we were trying to put the house back together and like kind of hide like what was going on um, and get things repaired. And my mother-in-law and all of this commotion said, like Landon like might be getting sick, his gland is swollen. Have you seen this? Um, and so I took him right away. I took him to the walk-in clinic that day. Um, his birthday party, this was a Thursday. His birthday party was on Saturday. So I wanted to make sure he was well for his birthday party. And he had like the gland, but he said it didn't hurt. And he, hmm. it was only one side. And he maybe was feeling like a little crummy, like behaviorally, but like it wasn't like excessive. It wasn't like anything to, we had a lot going on. So I kind of attributed it to like the chaos of our new lives. Yeah. Um, so I took him to the walk in clinic and the walk in clinic, they swabbed him for, um, Flu and uh, strep, and they were both negative. And the doctor said, Do you have a family history of leukemia? And I said, No.
0: You know, that's really surprising because I feel like most of the time, urgent care isn't usually the one to just like assume the worst. Yeah. Um, I always, no offense to my urgent care providers, but <laughs> I always feel like their diagnosis, it always differs significantly from like our pediatrician's diagnosis, you know? And so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I was just like, no. And like, I'm prone to like anxiety anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my God, he said leukemia. Um, so, uh, he said, when do you meet his pediatrician? Cause he knew that we just moved here. So I said, Tuesday, this is Thursday. So on Tuesday where we meet the new pediatrician, we have a scheduled appointment and he said, have him run his blood work. But he let me leave after thinking that my son maybe had leukemia. He didn't do a finger poke and let me wow. leave.
0: And so we had, did you, did you bring it up to him that the, I didn't know.
1: I didn't know that it was just a, like a finger poke.
0: You know what oh, I mean? I had yeah, no idea
1: no. that it was that simple.
0: Like I guess his- my question is, did you mention that they had asked you about it? Did you mention that to the new pediatrician that they asked you about
1: leukemia? Yeah, so we had the birthday party, and then on Tuesday, I met the new pediatrician, and I was like, the walk-in clinic asked me if it was leukemia,
0: and he goes, don't be hysterical. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. He
1: goes, I'm gonna give you some antibiotics, it's tonsillitis, he's gonna to feel better. You're gonna call me in 10 days and tell me he feels better. And I'm like, cool, I'm hysterical. This is great. It's just tonsillitis. Um I was really like relieved. Yeah. And our old pediatrician would have run the blood work. And this pediatrician, if he would have told me there's less than a 1% chance this is leukemia, do you want to run the blood work? I'm anxious enough I would have said yes
0: especially like you said, knowing that it's as simple as a finger prick. It's not like they're like running, you know, putting a little IV in him to run a whole massive amount of blood. It was like a finger prick, which that's nothing. So, so
1: simple. And I'm a medical social worker. So now I know. And I'm like, so we took the antibiotic and he took the antibiotic from Tuesday to Saturday. And on Saturday morning, we went to pick out so, Landon, for his birthday, got a tarantula that he'd been begging me for this spider for like years. And like, I finally caved and let him get the damn like tarantula. Mom and of the year, because I would be like, nope, nope, nope. I made this promise when he was like three that when he was five, he could get a tarantula because I thought he would forget about it. And he didn't forget about it. So, five came and went, and six came and went, and seven was coming. And we're laying in bed, and he's like, you're never going to let me get a tarantula, are you? <laughs> so then it became like a thing about me not keeping my word. Oh So no. like now I had to let him. So he got a tarantula, which we still have. And so the younger one wanted a fish. So we were at the pet store <laughs> picking out a beta fish. Um, and Landon hadn't eaten breakfast. And he was on antibiotics. And he said his stomach hurt. And so I was kind of rushing him to the bathroom, and he sort of just, like, collapsed. Oh, my gosh. Like, mid-step. Like, were
0: turned- you terrified?
1: It was, like, the scariest thing in my entire life. Like, he turned gray. His lips were white.
0: Oh, my gosh. He was, like,
1: eyes were rolling around. Like, he wasn't, like, looking, like, oh straight. Gosh. Um, He, like, definitely had, like, a change of consciousness and was having issues, like, becoming, like, Reconscious completely, and his Ugh. Callen scooped so
0: him. So sorry.
1: Put him in the car, and we're Callen's like very good GPS wise. Like he's wired that way, so he knew that there was a children's hospital right around the corner. So he was able to look it up real quick because mm-hmm. he knew that if we went to an adult hospital and if it was serious, they would have to transfer him.
0: Okay. So it was
1: saving us like the ambulance ride if mm-hmm. we went to an adult hospital. So St. Joseph was right around the corner. We zipped in. And um, the whole way there, I was, like, trying to keep Landon, like, conscious. Like, I was, I was scared we were going to lose him in the car.
0: Like, yeah. honestly,
1: it was, like, absolutely terrifying. Um, and so we got there, and he said, I'm going to check him in. Take Corbin. Go get, like, a lunch. You guys don't need to be sitting here. Like, we'll follow up in, like, an hour. Like, come right back. Like, it'll be okay. And so then he's texting me and he's like, he looks fine. His coloring's back. Everything's good. I think it was low blood sugar. Like it was probably cause he didn't eat because he's he's antibiotics. We're gonna pay $300 for them to tell us you need to feed your kid.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like,
1: okay, but like stay. So I came back with Corbin and, um, the doctor came in and said, mom and dad, I need to like, have you guys come out of the room.
0: I want to pause for a second because hearing you say that, that the doctor even took you out. It's bad news. Well, yeah, it's bad news. But like, I was talking to somebody about it recently and everything was divulged in front of my child, my child. Yeah. I mean, he's four or at that time he was almost four. So he was three. Um, So I think people maybe assume like, oh, maybe he doesn't understand. Right. Um, But I do hear, you know, I'm so thankful for the doctors who have that, you know, thought in their mind that, you know what, no matter what the age of that child, there was, you know, the reaction of the parent yes. is what the child is looking to. Mm-hmm. And so let's take them out of the room. I'm very appreciative of the doctors that do that. So if you're a doctor listening to this, thank you. And if you haven't started this practice I highly suggest that when you're giving a parent bad news to take the parent out of the room bring in a you know a nurse or child life specialist to you know stay with the child and allow the the parent to have a reaction away from the child and avoid the child hearing the bad news and letting the parent communicate that to the to the child in the way that they think is best for their child so sorry go ahead
1: no like it was yeah he was brought us into a nearby exam room. And like you said, they had the child life person sit with Landon. And I remember walking. And like, as soon as he said, I need both parents to come with me, I was like, Oh my God, the walk-in clinic. I was right. The walk-in clinic. He's got cancer. He's got cancer, you know? And we like got into the room and he closed the door and he's like, listen, your son's extremely sick. His white blood count was like 117,000. He he's got a big mass in his chest that might be like interfering with his airway, which is why he collapsed. Um, he's like, we don't know if it's lymphoma or leukemia, but we're, we're admitting you now. And it was everything that like you would expect. Like I just, Callan had Corbin in his arms and I'm like sobbing. And like, I remember like I was looking around the room, like, and I remember blurting out, like, I just want to crawl into a hole. Like, I the emotional reaction to, like, physically hide because of how overwhelmed it was. Um, and so Callan called his mom. And she was at work. And he was crying. And my husband doesn't cry very often. He's not, like, an anti-crier. But he's not, like, an easy to cry. And he was crying. And he told his mom, you need to walk off your job. We need you to come get Corbin. Landon's really sick. And so she knew it was terrible. And so she walked off her job. And they, he took Corbin home to pass him off to his mom. And me um, and Landon got admitted. And I had to put my like, game face back on. Hmm. Like we're 14 months into this and my kids never see me cry. Wow. So I, not because I think it's bad, but because I don't want to scare him. Yeah. Like at eight, he's just getting the bigger picture of like how dangerous this is. But for the first like several months, I don't think he realized how much danger he was in. And I was happy to keep him in that bubble to get it through the scary part. So he wasn't like scared himself too. Because it was scary to me.
0: Did you tell him up front that he, like, he was sick? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, we told him um, that there was something wrong with his blood and that the doctors were going to have to give him medicine to fix it. Um, I had no idea, like, how long treatment was going to be. I just, I did, I wasn't aware. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we told him that, we would never pretend like there were options when there weren't. So we're never going to pretend like you have the option of picking something else when the, something else wasn't really there, that there's going to be things that the doctors need us to do that um, we don't get a choice about. Yeah. And that we're not going to lie to you and we're not going to pretend like there's options when there aren't options. Like there's just going to be things that we have to do. Um, so they admitted us and um the next day they did a differential diagnosis and they told us about leukemia. And they said, he has leukemia. This is the expected course of treatment, blah, 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 blah. And then they came like six hours later and they're like, it's actually not B cell. It's actually T cell. And so it's three and a half years of treatment. Oh man. And I remember being like, excuse me, three and a half years. Like it was so hard to like, cause you, if you don't, if you've never been around it, you don't know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you don't know it. Go- I mean, that's like a huge chunk of someone's childhood. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's going to be like in like entering middle school, wow. like when this is over, like it's really going to shape who we are as people and as a family. And it's going to shape his relationship with his brother. Like it's, it's going to color everything. Yeah. So... He was diagnosed with T-cell and, um, I looked it up. It's like (laughs) the likelihood of getting this is like between getting like hit by lightning and being eaten by a shark. Yeah. It's like, you're more likely to have a vending machine fall on you and die in any given year than to get T-cell leukemia.
0: So is T-cell. I'm not really familiar with the leukemia world. So is T-cell more like rare than the B-cell leukemia.
1: So if you meet somebody with leukemia, there's a 95% chance it's B cell. Okay. If that gives you an idea. So in the whole practice, there were only two other kids
0: with T cell. Wow. At that time. I got another question for you. Mm -hmm. You mentioned there was a mass in his chest. Mm -hmm. Now, this is like, leukemia is completely foreign to me. My child had a solid, solid tumor. So, you know, mass is something that I'm like, oh, it's a solid tumor and then i hear leukemia and i hear you know it's a blood cancer and so i didn't like i didn't realize that there could be a mass with yeah. with leukemias
1: they i guess it's the blood itself sticks together oh and causes a mass and they didn't show us the before picture like i saw the before picture when they did the after picture but it was like the bulk of his chest was like taken up by this mass
0: Oh like goodness.
1: so scary looking. I'm glad they didn't show me, um, on the front end. So we had issues with getting clearance for port placement because they were concerned that he could die from the sedation because of the mass.
0: Oh my like, It was
1: really very touch and go. Um, like the first like 48 hours. And then like that surgery was a big deal. Like the anesthesiologist was sort of back and forth about doing it. So like has to happen, you know, you gotta go in the chemo. So yeah. I kinda liken it to like an airplane crashing or lightning like hitting you. Like one minute your life is one way and then like six hours later your life is completely different and you can never go back there. Yeah. Even like,
0: after treatment, you you can never go back.
1: Yeah. It's like there's a level of like safety and innocence that like gets destroyed. Like this yep promise of, from the universe of your kid being okay, gets taken away. And it's just like you fundamentally change. Yeah. And
0: I totally get that.
1: Yeah. It's a process to get through that. Um, so they gave him support and chemo. I think we were in the hospital for like three weeks. Um, the mass, the chemo cleared up the mass. They did all the education and, um, everything. we have been really fortunate with his treatment. He's done as well as you would expect him to do, like everybody in the practice is really pleased with how well he's done, like he hit his remission date like they do a um for leukemia on like day twenty eight they do mm-hmm. another bone aspiration, and mm-hmm. if you're not in remission, then then like everything gets ramped up, and your wow. like survivability goes way down so like if you don't hit that remission like numbers there's like certain like milestones. And being in T cell, he's already considered high risk. Mm-hmm. So it would have been like even worse if he didn't hit those numbers. So I look at like our treatment compared to like B cell sometimes, and I'm like, mm-hmm. God, it's weird to like envy somebody else's cancer, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like I kind of do sometimes um, because we have a whole year extra of treatment than the T, than the B cell. So the yeah. cell only have two and a half years, we have three and a half years. Because the way they they explain leukemia to me is it's blood, so it goes everywhere. So like yeah. if you have cancer in like your breast and it goes someplace else in your body, it's metastasized and that's considered really bad. Right. Blood, so it's already everywhere. And blood, it's like a liquid tumor that's in yeah. all of your body, in every cell, and all it does is take one cell. Not to be eradicated for it all to start multiplying again, which is why the treatment is so long for leukemia is because they have to make sure that there's absolutely none. And additionally, um, they also, it can enter your brain. So he has to have spinal taps to shoot chemo into his brain because the chemo won't cross the blood ba- brain barrier. So they have to put it in his brain wow. to make sure that he doesn't because it hides. So if they don't put it in your brain, then you will find it in the brain.
0: Right. That makes sense.
1: So it's like, I didn't know any of this. So we've been really fortunate, but like the first month induction, I mean, they just kick these kids in the teeth. So he lost the ability to walk one day at seven, like yesterday he could walk. And today he stands up, he falls, he stands up, he falls like, you know, and not even like able to like, brace himself. He just like hits the ground. So I'm picking him up at seven and carrying him to the bathroom. I'm picking him up and carrying him to the bed. I'm sleeping in the bed next to him because he can't get up and like get him his upper body up in order to flip his legs around in order to get up to go to the bathroom. Like really like they sent a wheelchair Um, they give them steroids the first month. So their face gets so big and their belly buttons. And like, he's always been thin like my husband. And that was actually the first thing I said to the doctor when he said that he had, um, cancer. The first thing out of my mouth was he's 42 pounds. Like that was my first thought was he's already so skinny.
0: Yeah.
1: Like I'd had at the end of the year before the school nurse called and was like, we did our physicals and, you know, Landon's BMI. And I'm like, well, he's always been like that. So if you're calling DCF, let me know and I'll put some coffee on. But like his pediatrician is aware. His dad is like, you know, six four and weighs 160 pounds.
0: Oh, right? yeah. So he's like one of the, he's going to be a tall skinny kid.
1: Yeah. But like, that's not what you want to hear when your kid's like got cancer. Right. You, know, you don't want them to start low. You want them to be like at least normal. Um, so we fought a feeding tube for the bulk of, um, the first year we fought a feeding tube. Um, we did like appetite stimulants and, you know, we just barely got him. There were definitely points that we were having to decide between whether we were going to do it through the nose or do it permanently through his stomach. And we were just kind of waiting to pull the trigger on it. So he just, he got, he blew up and his belly button turned inside out and he couldn't walk and his hair fell out and then, um, it all went down and he just got so skinny and weak. And, and this is like with like it being like good, this is like not with getting infections and like organ damage and amputations and all of the other things that we see on the forums. This is like normal, bad that he got. Um, And he did okay. And what was it? It was like this spring we were all laying in bed watching a movie and um, I kind of was like laying on my husband's arm. And so he had his arm like underneath me Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of squirmed a little bit to get away from him to let his like sleeping arm move. And he goes, what's that? Oh, what's what? And he goes, there's a lump. Like, and I, felt, and I felt it. And I sat up and I went, oh my God, I'm scared. Oh and Landon gosh. goes, Landon looks at me and goes, why? Why are you scared, mommy? And I'm like, okay. So Once again, brave
0: face, right?
1: Yeah. Brave face. Like my motto is just keep swimming. Like I'm mm-hmm. 100% Dory. I have a Dory tattoo. Like, oh, i <laughs> like, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Like, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but just keep moving.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I kind of smashed it down and like, I think everybody knows it's cancer. Mm-hmm. And then some people are like, told it's not and they like but I think everybody assumes that it is when Mm -hmm. so I assumed that it was I went to my primary care and he did an exam and he said well if it was going to be cancer this is where it would be
2: but 80 percent of lumps aren't cancer and you're 40
1: so I said okay you go get a mammogram so I was calling around and like I had an appointment and it was like seven or eight weeks out. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: I know. And I was just, it was making me crazy. And my friend works at Moffitt and she's like, maybe they can get you in sooner. And that's one of the big cancer centers in the area. And they were able to get me in, in like four weeks. So, um, I went in and, you know, in pediatric cancer, there's like a quiet resentment against breast cancer because they have like Amazing PR and like you know yes, during October yes. and like yes. infringing on us in September and like oh <laughs> you know just September's go, go get out of our month you know yeah It yeah. is. there is like a I lot know. Of resentment
0: and there's se- resentment and just a lot of like jealousy yeah you know and and I don't like for me personally I'm like okay the pink ribbon. Everybody knows the pink ribbon. Like, ask, you know, a 10 year old, she'll probably be able to tell you what a pink ribbon stands for, you know. Um, Nobody really knows the gold, right? And it's not the pink ribbon's fault. (laughs) It's like, the pink ribbon just had an amazing, uh, what's it called a PR, like marketing, Mm -hmm. they were just really good about raising awareness. And we just gold hasn't gotten there yet so you know it won't be there one day but you know we just need someone fantastic whoever you know whoever Susan G.
1: Komen is
0: whoever Susan G. Komen used to ramp up her her cause in awareness we need them to switch over to the gold side and do the same for us so yeah but anyway go ahead
1: so yeah we're in a waiting room and there's a bunch of women and I'm probably 25 years younger than all of them. We're all wearing oh, our dumb pink robes. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, the universe has like a sense of humor that <laughs> I'm sitting here in this pink robe after everything we've been through with gold. And I'm like, okay, I'm so young. Like they bring me in for the mammogram and they put me back in the waiting room. And then the lady comes back and goes, we need additional images.
0: Mm. you kind of knew at that point yeah yeah
1: so they brought me back three times by the third time there was no more older women in the waiting room there was only just me now everybody else had gotten there was done and had left and um so then the girl came for the ultrasound and she was like younger and like didn't have quite as good of a poker face Mm-hmm. And so she was like doing the ultrasound, and uh, you could tell that she was upset. Like what she was seeing was upsetting her. Yeah. On, and like I'm a medical social worker, I know they're not supposed to like give away their cards. You know they're supposed to like poker face it. Like and I could tell that she was like visibly upset about whatever it was she was seeing. And so then she's like, "Well, you're gonna have to come for a biopsy." And I'm like, "Listen, you're gonna have to educate me what you're seeing because I need to know." Like you can't just tell me to come for a biopsy. Why, why do you need a biopsy? Why? And so a doctor came in and she's like, okay, so we're seeing a jagged edge, which we don't like. We're seeing blood flow, which we don't like. And we're seeing calcification. Mm -hmm. She's like, I've seen stuff that has been way uglier than this. That's not cancer. And I've seen stuff that looks totally innocent that is cancer. So until I get a piece of it, try not to get too upset. Like, let me, you know, get some and like figure out what it is. So I walked out and I told my husband I got cancer. And he's like, oh, you don't know that yet. So we went for the biopsy and um, there were, there was written to do two for the biopsy. And when I got up there, they're like, there's actually a third one here. So we're gonna go ahead and biopsy that too. Wow! And so I left and um, I went to work. I think I this was maybe on a Thursday, and on Tuesday morning I was sitting at my desk, and we were at the beginning of um, delayed intensification, which is like for leukemia, it's like the last hard part of the marathon before you get into maintenance it's where there's like a lot of hospitalizations a lot of organ issues like it's like the hit them with everything one last time like all of the moms collectively poop themselves going into delayed intensification and that's what like the following week was going to be i'm sitting wow. at my desk on a tuesday and i get a phone call and the nurse practitioner goes i'm sorry but you have invasive lobular carcinoma and oh I'm my like, goodness I don't know what that means. She says you have breast cancer.
2: And I just froze. And I'm
1: like writing on like an envelope. And In- invasive what? Say that word again. Invasive what? Oh my La- god. How do you spell how do you spell that? What like I got invasive larvae carcinoma written on a piece of like an envelope
2: the surgeon will call you and I hang up
1: and I just started crying and I work on a ward and the walls are very thin and I'm sure everybody in the entire like unit could hear me. Um, I remember thinking like we're good people like why would this happen to us? what have we been exposed to? Like, what's wrong with us that we're, we both have cancer. And I was like sobbing and my like office mate was trying to console me. And she called my boss who didn't even know this was going on with me. Like she knew everything that had gone on with Lena, but I hadn't told anybody that this was going on with me with my breast. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I gotta go. Like that was the last day I could pretend to be normal. Like I'd missed so much work with Landon and I was new and I was always the person who couldn't be relied on, on my team. You know how hard it is when you're at a new job. Like they don't know me outside of this crisis. Like it's like at my old position, I cross trained everything. I was like the workhorse. They could give me anything and make, I would make sure it got done. And I was just like super competent. And then I come over here and I am like, Missing a bunch of work and I'm letting things drop and I'm not learning things that I should because I'm under so much stress. So going because we had a delayed intensification the following week, I was just like, I'm I'm out. (laughs) Like I'll, I'll be back after surgery is pretty much the way I put it. So we got him through delayed intensification and that was horrible. And then the following Monday. I had surgery, so I had an MRI. I met the surgeon. Um, she said, "Like from where your chest wall is to where your nipple is, it was just a constellation of tumors." Wow. And I guess invasive lobular it doesn't usually cause lumps at all, and it doesn't normally show up on a mammogram. Wow. So the fact that it caused a lump that we were able to like actually feel, and then it showed up on a mammogram is like unusual. Wow. So, um, they said like, we have to do a mastectomy. Like there's no like nipple sparing, like it's gotta go. But like, she was like in a very like generic way. It was kind of like, you're going to lose a boo, but you're probably going to keep your life was what I walked out of there with. So, um, I went that Monday, Callum dropped me off at 6am. COVID had already started, so I had to do it by myself. And he dropped me off, and then he took Landon for emergency platelets. So he dropped me off at one hospital and took Landon to another hospital. Oh my gosh. As he was critically ill. Um, and I had to go through it myself. And I woke up, and I remember the first thing I wanted to do was make sure that Landon was okay. So I talked to my husband and he said, yeah, we got some platelets. We're doing better. We're going to go home. And I recorded a video of Landon so he could see me and hear me and know that I was okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and then the next, I had to stay overnight. The next day I came home and I think I was home for 24 hours. And then Landon had his first unplanned hospitalization Ugh. as I was like 24 hours out of a mastectomy. So Callum had to take them to the hospital and they stayed for four, four days, five days with an infection. My mother-in-law had to take over taking care of me and taking care of Corbin. Um, like showering me. Like everybody loves their mother-in-law showering them, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. And I'm worried sick about my child, and there's nothing I could do anyway because they would only let one parent anyway because of COVID. So whichever one of us, it was, we were locked in. Um, and so they came home and I recovered from my mastectomy and my oncologist said that based on my onc score, um, that I didn't need chemo, but we weren't really sure what to do regarding hormone suppression because breast cancer can be, um, like dependent on your hormones. Mm -hmm. So like mine's very hormone receptive. Like ninety percent, so I was on birth control for years for endometriosis. So I was just feeding the cancer with the birth control oh my gosh. all of those years. I was just instead of getting a hysterectomy, I took the birth control and I was just feeding it. Um, and we weren't really sure. Do I get a hysterectomy? Do I do shots for hormone suppression? What do we do that way? That way, and I wasn't getting really a clear answer. So um, I had a second opinion from Mayo. And the guy came on and I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to figure out my hormone suppression options. And he goes, why are we not talking about chemo? And I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) no. They told me I don't need chemo. I don't need chemo. No, I'm done. I did my victory lab. I posted it on Facebook. Like I'm done. And he's like, you really should do some chemo. He's like, you missed mandatory chemo by one point. He's like, I'm going to run a couple more tests. Um, your son has a rare leukemia. You're 40 and you have breast cancer. Like I didn't have any nodes involved, but mm-hmm. what he said was it's probably been growing in your body for five years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which means that I probably nursed Corbin with it in my body, which is just so freaky to me. Um, and he's like, do you want to gamble that one cell didn't escape from your nodes and go someplace else in five years?
2: And I said, no, I don't want to take that bet. Was,
1: you should do some chemo. I said, okay. Oh man. So I went back to Moffat, and the other tests that he did were still like right on that line. So they all came back like 15 and 16 is chemo. So it's all a value judgment. You know what I mean? It's not clear. Moffitt didn't do anything wrong. It's all just like kind of whatever your processing is. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I need to do some chemo. So I'm doing four rounds of chemo, which is not watching my kid get, I don't know, 100 IV chemos in the past like 15 months. Like four seem very manageable. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they say kids handle it better, like they really do. Like I really, I've had a hard time. Um, so, like I am, well. So the very first one, I had like a breathing reaction. Mm -hmm. So they gave me the chemo. My feet are up. You know, I'm planning on like reading a book or like whatever. And five minutes in, my throat just like oh an gosh. anaphylactic type of thing mm-hmm. and i sat up and, and like croaked out like oh and like that was all the noise that could come out of my mouth all of these people rushed in like they had to shoot me full of stuff to like tr- re- like stop the reaction they had to like do like mm-hmm. they had to like save me mm-hmm. you know and breathing treatment and oxygen and then i couldn't breathe and like my oxygen went from like ni- like 100% to like 90 in like 30 seconds like it just was, oh. and then I was scared and I'm there by myself. And so they started yeah. to back up. I know, I know. And so the next, second time they gave me even more pre-meds and they ran it at half speed, still had a reaction. This last time they gave me so many pre-meds, the nurse made a joke about it, ran it at a quarter speed, still had a reaction. Oh my gosh. So I have one more on Thursday. And
0: and for those people who don't understand what that means in terms of speed, it's basically chemo going into your veins at a certain speed. Like they have a certain standard speed for most of them. They say like for the type that my child has, um, they do it over 90 minutes for uh, one of those. Some of them is like five minutes, but there's one in particular that the minimum is 90 Mm -hmm. and he's had reactions. um, And so not like yours at all like but just you know they're basically we've we've reduced the time or not reduced the time we've lengthened the time reduced the speed so instead of 90 minutes he's doing two uh two and a half hours instead and that's helped so for people who are like what is she talking about speed you know like it's the speed of chemo going into you
1: well and i guess like I guess I knew that could happen, but I guess I had seen Landon do it so many times, it didn't occur to me mm-hmm. that that was even like something that would happen. Right. So it caught me completely off guard. I was like crying, like calling my husband, like, I don't want him to start it back up. I'm scared. Like, I could have died. Um, yeah. It was really bad. And then additionally, um, I've gotten a secondary skin reaction each time. Oh man. Where all over my head, all over my chest, all over my back, like just like a skin reaction, like pustules everywhere.
0: Oh my gosh. that's and, terrible.
1: Yeah. And like, even if I don't mess with them, they scar. Ugh. And so they've been putting me on these really high doses of um, steroids for that. And like, you know, so I'm like, I feel kind of crazy because I'm on steroids. So I'm like super emotional and I'm eating all the time. So I've gained 10% of my body weight in just a couple weeks. So nothing fits. Like, you know, I had the expectation of the opposite thing to happen from chemo. So I don't have any clothes that fit me. I'm like, I didn't think I would like be gaining weight. Um, So I have one more um, on Thursday. And then I like ring my bell. Um, and then we'll have, I, my gynecologist feels pretty strongly that I need to have a hysterectomy that she says they did my DNA testing and mm-hmm. they, te- they did the everything, everything, everything DNA test, mm-hmm. 93 things, everything came back normal. They wow. just did Landon's, so we're waiting for his results, but they, they can't say why this has happened. My mom had breast cancer. My mom finished chemo. And then my mom died from either a stroke or a heart attack. Oh, wow. Like at her house by herself Aww. at 61.
0: I'm so sorry. And her mom died from breast cancer. And my aunt had, but, had breast cancer. But there's no genetic, they couldn't find the genetic link. Yeah. You know, when uh, we, we had my son tested uh, for genetics to see if there was maybe a possible something that we need to test. And, you know, here I was thinking, all right, they said he's good. They're, they couldn't find anything. But being in this community, you start hearing people say, well, I was genetically tested. Um, so I know someone else who's who has two kids with cancer. Wow! Oh. And yeah, and there's actually many, not like you know, not the majority, but there is a small portion of our community that has multiple kids with cancer, whether at the same time or one after another, a few years later, but, um, they did the genetic testing on their kids and they said nothing came back. And so really the genetic testing is only as good as what has been discovered. And that's, that was
1: the conversation I've had with my gynecologist. She's like, okay, like 10 years ago, we only had BRCA1 and BRCA2. Now they just tested you for 93 things that are related to breast cancer. Like in 10 more years, it could be like 4,000 things that are related. Like we just don't know. She's like, are you really, it's so funny the way they always put it. They're like, are you willing to bet that science won't improve and be able to point out what's going on with you in the future? Additionally, she said that she's had a lot of women with BRCA1 and BRCA2 testing years ago that they're Mm -hmm. calling them and telling them that it's actually been overturned and they are positive. Oh, really? So, yeah. Interesting. She One of the medicines they want to give me to suppress my hormones causes gynecology cancers.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I've already had a fibroid the size of my uterus taken out of my uterus, and I already have endometriosis. Wow. So she's like, we just going. to... Take out all that stuff, and I'm like, okay, yeah, so we're gonna do that this fall. Um, I was denied um, a bilateral mastectomy, they would not remove my undiseased breast because of Mm -hmm. COVID. Okay, they said it's considered elective, and there's no elective surgeries at that time, so I'm walking around with like another time bomb on me. So after COVID whatever our future looks like, I'm going to ask them to remove it. I'm trying to do whatever I can to get as much good time with my kids as I can. Um, And I'm worried about scaring them. And I don't want to go through chemo twice. Like going through this once, I don't want to do this again. This sucked. Um, So it's been really hard going through this. And like, I don't know. I can't feel too bad for myself watching Landon and knowing how brave he's been and what a good attitude he's had and not try to be at least like him. Like I want to be like my kid when I grow up. Yeah. You know, like he's had such a good, this kid, we had a hospital, like a homebound teacher come and teach him last year. Mm-hmm. This kid would be throwing up in one of those bags and go right back to it. Oh. You know, a year ago on my time hop, I remember I posted on Facebook, he said, I'm really glad that it happened to me and not Corbin because he's little and he wouldn't understand. And then a couple weeks ago when he was getting kid chemo every single day that week and he goes, I'm really glad that your chemo is not as long as mine. Like, he's just so like, he's such a good kid and he's such
2: like kind
1: And so I've been trying to use this bad thing for good. So I've been posting videos online. Um, I've been doing Go Gold for September. So every day I'm posting something about pediatric cancer. Um, Doing a lot of COVID stuff because I think people aren't being smart and aren't necessarily being good consumers of science. Um, So I'm making a lot of like not great friends that way. <laughs> <laughs> frustrating people um but i'm trying i'm trying to raise awareness cuz i didn't know anything he got diagnosed on june 29th last year on june 28th i didn't know anything about pediatric cancer i thought it was all saint jude's i thought they were these beautiful bald kids that like you know i didn't know how long it was i didn't know how sick they got i didn't know how expensive it was Like, there's just so many things that I know now that, like, I would have been a better advocate and better friend to this community if I had known. And so I'm trying to, like, raise awareness so if it happens to someone, even if it's not you, you have a better idea what this looks like. And you can, like, maybe be more helpful to that
0: family. Amen, sister. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. But in a different aspect, you know, like, I think... You know, obviously the whole mission of family chemotherapy is to really raise awareness of mental health, you know, the mental wellness within the family system when pediatric cancer does occur and it affects the entire family when your child has cancer. And so trying to raise awareness of both what pediatric cancer is and just what that means for a family, um, not just the parents, but also the siblings and, you know, your extended family and what our lifestyle actually means. Um. I think by raising awareness, we, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to be recognized as commonly as the pink, as the pink ribbon, you know,
1: that's like really the hope. And like, just understanding where people are coming from, like when your kid can't be alone for a whole year and you can't put them in daycare, Mm -hmm. like for most families, that's a 50% like income reduction, like on day one, someone's got to quit their job. Like today and take care of this child. Um, we were fortunate enough that my father-in-law who's retired was willing to do it. So on the days that Landon was well enough for us not to be home with him, my father-in-law watched him. Um, but for a lot of families, I think that some of the statistics I remember early, um, 80% of families with a chronically ill child get divorced. Wow. One out of 11 families with a kid with cancer have to file for bankruptcy. Like, I've seen families lose the kid and lose their home.
0: I mean, you're not only traumatizing. You know what I mean? Like yep. people
1: don't get that though. Like people don't understand that kind of like, you know, like the toxic positivity. The like, at least he got the good cancer. It's
0: like, it- <laughs> I know. Oh, well, we had a doctor tell us that this is if there's any type of cancer to get, it's this kind. But it's like, what?
1: <laughs> and people, I think they try to be helpful. Um, you know, when you're like, I'm scared, and they're like, Well, you just have to know that it's going to be okay. It's like, no, like mental health wise, like the validating people and being like, Yeah, you should be scared. Like, not you should be, but like Mm -hmm. it's it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared. I would be scared too. You know, Mm -hmm. like that normalization is so important. Um, it was a complete Of the social deck. You
0: don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. I've had to, like, it's like my circle got smaller, and then I've had to, at times, the people that I do, like, express myself more freely with, I have literally had to say, stop minimizing my pain and my fears. Like, I know they're trying to be helpful, but it's like, just stop. Like, I have every right to be scared right now. Like, this is scary. And the things that I've heard are scary. And no matter, like, even if they say, well, and I'm just throwing out pretend numbers here, right? But If they say, well, you know, there's like a 10% chance that this will happen. um, Or even just a 25% chance that this will happen. They're like, well, it's only 10%. It's like, well, it's less than 1% that my child was supposed to have cancer. So, no, that doesn't help me feel any better about the situation. You know?
1: anyone who's like there's a very little very slim chance like they said with the um one of the medicines to su- suppress my hormones can cause a stroke like well that worries me because that was my mom's cause of death and she was probably on one of these medicines yep like well there's like less than one percent chance like, numbers aren't really the like safety blanket thing that it used to be <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, anymore, yeah. they're not, they, yeah, not no. they don't
1: console me the way that they used to. No. Um, yeah, the way I explained right. it when I finally found words to explain it was: How would you feel putting your kid in a roller coaster that there's a twenty percent chance of their, them getting thrown every single day for three and a half years? Every day you have to walk them up to the roller coaster, put them in, and there's a twenty percent chance they're not coming back because that's what it feels like. You know, and we see all of the like bad outcomes and I have to realize that there's also like an observation bias because people don't post got chemo, nothing happened. High five on the forums, right? Mm -hmm. They only post, I'm going into the ICU. It's an infection. My kid, you know, is on a ventilator. My kid has died. Please add me to the bereavement group. You don't ever see everything's cool. We got chemo again. Like he's all right. Like nothing happened. So, you're if you're really engaged with community, you're eating a lot of it, and so I think you're even overrepresenting the stuff in your head. But you can see every bad thing that could possibly happen, and you see it every single time you open your Facebook or every single time you get on the forum. Yep. There's another beautiful child dying. And it. You,
0: yes, and that's what you know before cancer. I never had another cancer parent on any of my social media and so was completely oblivious to it, you know, and um, now, you know, when I try and explain to some of my friends, like what I live with every day, I'm like, this is an element that I don't tell you all about. And that's every time I open my social media, the groups that I'm in And the friends that I've made, you see when their kid relapses, you see when a kid is dying almost every single day, it does something to you. You may be, you know, you learn to say, this is my child, his journey, his path, his future could be completely different. You can't compare cancers, right? And you have to sit there and remind yourself every day, like, don't compare it. Don't compare my story. Don't compare his story. Um, because what I'm seeing could be really discouraging. And that's really hard, you know, because you want the group because the group is like amazingly supportive. And you can get a wealth of information from everybody, especially like, you know, what we deal with rhabdo. So like my rhabdo group that I'm in, I love them because I can be honest, I can ask like, this medication isn't working. What do y'all suggest? What have y'all been using? My doctor says this. Like, cause there are some people who are like hardcore yeah. dive into the research and they could, you know, be like, nope, you should be doing this, 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 don't forget about this, you know, trial or whatever. Right. So like, they're, they're great. The community is great, but you know, there there's also that reality that you now see cancer, like children yeah. with cancer die every day. And it just makes it harder for you to like separate it from your personal we life. We have sometimes.
1: gotten very good, especially with COVID, just trying to
0: live for
1: today. And being more like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. one day at a time focused, you know, without being like recovery, like related, but like, yeah, I had my whole life planned out and I was an anxious mess. And I was always worried some boogeyman was going to come and hurt my children and I'll be darned. There was a boogeyman and like, I have to just sit with it every day. I like read some poem and it was like. Don't run, don't run. You have to sit with it. You have to be here. You have you can't run. You can't leave. You can't hide. And it's like that there have been so many times either I wanted to emotionally escape or I wanted to physically just run out of the room screaming. I think it's like I realize I'm a lot stronger than I ever gave myself credit for. I like see myself doing these things. And being absolutely terrified and doing them anyway. And I told Landon, like, early on, because he was like, I don't feel very brave. And I was like, well, being brave isn't not being scared. It's being scared when you do it anyway. Not having fear is kind of, like, naive or even dangerous when there's danger. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. fear is something that's supposed to protect you and warn you it's the ability to push through it and do it anyway and he says that to me a lot like he's remembered that he's held on to that um and I've had to employ that like walking into the hospital by myself to get like part of my body amputated like I was scared
2: yeah
1: you know like. We're living in such weird times, and to have cancer, like, is like the layering on top of all of the other weird stuff going on, all the COVID and like the political yeah. stuff and everything else that's going on, having like double cancer on top of it. It's
0: just, I know. Like, we can only, and I imagine, well, I'm like, we can only be sorry, here go ahead.
1: in this moment. Like, I don't know that we're both going to be okay. I don't know that we're not going to get COVID. And, like, one of us is going to die. I don't know that, like, these aren't still the good days, you know?
0: Yeah. And I imagine, you know, being – having cancer and um, basically your child having cancer, the amount of pressure on the family, not only, like, financially, but also, like, socially and, you know, having your spouse – wanting to be at two places at the same time, but he can't. And like, it's a lot, like, it is, it's a lot. And I just can't.
1: Alan's done really good. Like I couldn't ask for a better partner or dad, like, you know, like early with Landon, you know, he's like, whatever it is, we're going to be together and we're going to get through it, you know? And he's just been really, stable and supportive and calm like (laughs) every time I feel like I'm about to lose it he's like this very stoic (laughs) person Mm
0: -hmm. my husband's like that too
1: so I don't know I think this could be a thousand times worse with a different like partner or with no partner like I
0: yeah And there are people who do it without partners, you know, there's like,
1: you know, leukemia is overrepresented in children with down syndrome. So like they already have a child with down syndrome and now they have a child with down syndrome and leukemia. Like, you know, it's so bad, but honestly I can look and I can go, I can see examples of it being worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to be another topic that we cover on another day. Cause it's called, you know, it's yes. comparative suffering. And I want to be able to talk about that because that in itself is also invalidating and toxic. You know, it's a toxic way to, to handle it because you're minimizing your own, your own struggles. So, but, um, I think we've got a really great chance to catch up and I feel like I could speak to you on all this for hours and hours. So what I'd love to do is invite you back for another episode um, so we can continue talking about some more of the statistics and just um, comparative suffering and other things that, you know, we could continue talking about. So, well, thank you, Amy. I really had such a great honor and pleasure to be able to talk with you and just hear your story because it's so profoundly moving and just, I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my gosh, you're such a strong mom, but you really are (laughs) like, You know, and sometimes we get our strength from our children, but, and sometimes we have, well, in this situation, we don't, we don't really have a choice, but to be strong. But, um, I'm so glad that you are taking your life experience and trying to raise awareness and trying to help the pediatric cancer community, because you could easily just be going like, go, go pink, maybe you will next month, you know, but you could, you could be all about go pink, go pink, but you you get it like you know that we're all equally important and that we just need to raise some awareness for the ones that are most forgotten so thank you so much for using your experience and um, your stories to share with everybody thank you we'll do this again yes i would love that all right all right have a good afternoon thanks you too bye thank you all so much for listening to this interview i hope that it provided you with Some resources and just some information that will help you. Thanks for hanging in there with me. And if you have found this podcast helpful or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. If you want to support this podcast and ministry, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com forward slash family chemotherapy. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content from Family Chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.